0: The green spaces mean a lot, I'll come back to that, but the, uh, also the arrival experience. I would always pay attention to every person that's never been there, this is their first impression. And you almost want it to not hit you in the face, but see it from afar and just pull you in. And you can do that with a handful of storefronts, even some you know livable lofts above that, that actually create a certain amount of density that feels welcoming and that it's actually someplace you wanna go. And, and the other thing I learned about Seabrook when they were telling us about how they laid that na- those neighborhoods out is they made sure that there was a small fire pit slash little green and, and they were careful about how far away they were from each other. And so what they actually found out is when they started getting more full-time residents, they, there there's actually a behavior where people would walk and this is you know, my borough, this is my fireplace, this is my 10 to 12 neighbors, this is where we always meet. And they'd all grab a drink and just walk over to another one and meet other people. And it's almost a, the thought of a necklace of a connection between those parks. If you can protect the trees and the green space and make sure you're mindful of the, how the houses are actually situated on the lots where we're not just banging them out one after another like track houses make sure those uh the short and long views are where those terminate you spend a little more money on those those homes or even a bed and breakfast so that they're your that's your aha moments that kind of pull you through the actual development.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the show. Uh, we got an exciting episode today here with uh, Mark. Mark's joining me here, and we've got on the show, Chad Martin with Weave Property Branding. He is helping us out and discussing all about your questions with marketing your next development project from start to, to really finish. We're gonna start off with a little bit more about uh, Chad. Do you wanna give us a little more about your beginning, the, the genesis of WEAVE, and, and where
0: you're at now. Yeah, I appreciate y'all having me. Um, I started um, in the space of design, typically, just with uh, your, your basic graphic design degree. And, but I, I knew three years in that I wanted to be part of the, the built environment. I got I guess I got a little bored with just websites and print and, and logos and I kind of wanted to see how I could stretch that into another space. And at the time I was um I finished up in school at night. So I actually was already working a 40 hour job doing red lines for an architecture firm in Montgomery. So I was already starting to get really, you know, used to seeing the section cuts and the details and elevations and, and that kind of language always spoke to me. And after I graduated, I um you know, I spoke to some friends who went to ad agencies, and and although it was pretty cool, and 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 I talked to a few people who who did that route. It really never, you know, never seduced me to go to that side. So I I, I stayed I stayed in that space and and moved to Nashville and opened up a, a graphic design department, I guess, for the healthcare side of Gresham Smith and Partners in Nashville. So. I was quickly going from a 12-person firm to a 450-person firm. So that was going to be a different culture. And I was excited about it and new city and all that. And ended up after a couple of years um, of getting that going, there was an opportunity to actually move back to Alabama, but um, not go all the way back to Montgomery. I stopped off in, in Birmingham and stayed with Gresham Smith in that space for you know, probably seven years, I believe. Um, and and I got into working with healthcare, with the corporate world, and different signage type projects. We, I mean, we did a lot of different add-on layers and they're much larger projects. And from there, I um think I'd had my my feel and needed another challenge. I seem to always have a seven-year itch when I you know <laughs> go somewhere seven years and for some reason something just presents itself and I found a um small studio um, company with that was called Dung and the Cat Architects. And they were probably 12 or 15 people at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, just really loved getting back to uh, working with people who are super talented in the details. They were really known for high-end custom residential. Um, some, not a lot of commercial then, but um, just buildings that, you know, down at like Rosemary Beach and Alice and uh, even Seaside, they were Doing some work down there. And I just always thought, even if it's through osmosis, I would love to be around those kind of creatives so I could actually Mm -hmm. learn, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. start to appreciate being close to that type of work. And I uh, started with them, um, I guess it was 2007 or eight. And two, three years later, we found some some reasons to kind of for my studio to start having its own clients. So it kind of had its own little thing brewing over there off to the side and I would help, you know, do design work for them as they were getting things going and um, eventually grew that to be the G brand in 2009. And then I had a few um, clients that were parallel or the same client with Lewis Louis Niquette, and he was getting into a lot of student development work and that was um, I think our first one was even back when I first started 2008 or so. And it was a development called Creekside in Auburn. It was the first cottage development that I had worked on. Um, and so there are manor houses, duplexes, you know, a few one and two bedroom cottages. And there, it was all for lease. And it had a, a single amenity, which was a resort style, like clubhouse with Two, two level pool. I mean, anything that you could ever think of that you wanted in college, this place had. Um, so <laughs> we might just, have to come back to that. Is I that, know it's just crazy awesome. I mean, so we and in, in these are you know, obviously not a you know walk up apartment buildings. These are you have your own door, um, and that was what so was, what was so attractive about it. And and that that went on for gangbusters for a while. I mean, we were averaging. Four or five of those deals a year, and wow. that was capstone development, and they were really doing well in that space and um about two thousand eleven or twelve, I had a few developers reach out and ask, "Hey, could you do what you're doing in that space in the multifamily space and so I was like, "I'm glad to try let's see if it'll work um and that grew to a few other relationships that were ended up being repeat work and um And I had maybe three or four years after that, I had one of those developers just ask me one year, hey, if you just wrote your own job description, how would you involve yourself more to help us have more design consistency at the end of the project? They were walking the projects right before they're about to sell them. They're satisfied with what they had, but they felt like it wasn't exactly what was promised to them in the inspiration stage. And so it's like, how can we pull you together with all these design professionals so that you're kind of my liaison and you're like making sure you're checking this, not that they weren't involved, but being in the design world, it is a different language. So you want to make Mm -hmm. sure you're speaking to each other and, and you're actually thinking the same thing. Um, And so that's how I started working. And I mean, I got to, up until recently I was before it was a little hard to get money like it is this year and last we were averaging, probably 20 to 25 developments I was working on at a time. So wow. Um, it was a really busy uh, time, but it really um God it gave us a lot of opportunity to just try different things. Um and you know, you're gonna what you do in Austin, Texas isn't what you're gonna do in, in Charlotte or in in Richmond, Virginia. Sure. So it's fun to kind of get to learn those different areas and and see what the influences are and then you know, what natural amenities you're handed? You know, are we in mm-hmm. a walkable area? Are we going to be just a destination? Um, a lot of those questions you start to ask yourself as you go through the design thinking process. And um, I was in a meeting last week, and it was kind of funny to hear someone say, yeah, we we really, it was somebody in our group as we were interviewing, and he said, we really think about your experience from the curb all the way to the front door. We don't, we don't want to you know, start throwing the ideas in there when you're at the front door, because you've already passed a third of what your experience is. So mm-hmm. you, know, you always talk about some, some, a lot of projects will have a decompression zone of as you arrive at that and that all those experience matter. So it's just learning more and more ways how we can influence those experiences.
2: You've been on both sides of uh, having clients uh, seek you out. And uh, and I'm sure you've had those client relationships too, where you're looking for a client and you're approaching people and um, engaging with them. What does an ideal client uh, relationship look like for you? Well, the first thing is I want to make
0: sure our values align. If there's some way that I can make sure we're protecting the same things, I know there's always different, you know, processes of, hey money's hard to get we can't really do the nice and fancy things and that's fine that's not we can't always have the the five star um class a deal but we do try to push to go you know proportions are free right i've heard that a few times um we can make this still look good and be affordable most of the time um and so that's what Really is part of my my responsibility and, and job role with working alongside Niket Architecture. Now, um, I work with a lot of clients that I'm almost being the interviewer for if this is a fit for us to have a relationship later on down the line because I know what we need to be paralleling our our thought process uh, together. So, um, and at the end of the day, if, if we can agree on those things and then know that. Our main goal is to improve the way people live uh, through what we put out there. That's the that's the main goal. I mean, I've I've been involved in a handful of um, apartment rehabs, which that's not what you know our our architecture side does. But they've engaged me to say, hey, what would you improve um, on this to actually help change it? My one of my my bigger um, pet peeves is that people will, um, you know. I think we you and I had talked offline about what what's a misconception out there and in, in the what I do. And a lot of times people will say, well, you go buy a complex, repaint the repaint the place and slap a new logo on it. And it's been quote unquote rebranded. And it's really not the truth. I mean, you need to really talk to the people, the residents, what their how their how can their lives be improved? And a lot of times you can change just a few things. And it really changes the way people use that property. And if you can get into the mindset of what is their everyday experiences, you know, what are they experiencing when they go get the mail? How are they engaging with the the leasing staff? Um, What's the landscaping around this place look like? You know, they probably could care less if you change the paint of the building. But, you know, if the washer and dryer isn't working, then, you know, that's already a, you know, kind of a hard thing to deal with. So. Putting yourself in their shoes, really, I guess. Yeah, there's so much
1: in there that I want to come back to, and I'm trying to make mental notes of that. But I kind of want to dive in, and you know, we had, we gave you some some questions ahead of time to get you prepared. But I want to kind of go off the bat a little bit here, but and and they'll tie in here. You talked about using your natural resources to your benefit. Can we dive into that a little bit? So now we're diving into the process, and I know. That was later in our, our spiel, but I think it's so interesting and, and that might dovetail into some other questions, but using your natural resources, we, we all three come from fairly different locations. We have different natural resources. So how, how does that initial site visit, how does that go and how does that shape the rest of
0: your process? It, it's truly valuable um, and I don't get that many opportunities to actually have the luxury of walking the site like a number of my clients are in such go mode that they give me a google pin they give me pictures <laughs> and hey what can we do and I'm like wait wait there's an education process here I need to I need to ask more questions you know um, right a lot of times when you're at the beach your natural amenity is the ocean and we'll we actually have a good um a, ha- a habit I guess I would say of calling our whatever our well, what's your ocean you know is it on a lake is it in a wooded area where it's private uh, is it walkable is it you know connected to another town center or what what is the main drive what's the draw and a lot of times the you know our, the earth will give us that um you know mother nature will, will hand you something that easily is ignored sometimes so it's it's nice to to make sure you consider that um and not just be a UFO that's dropped out in the middle of a field with no purpose.
1: <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's start at the beginning. and I, I jumped the gun a little bit, but when you, when you feel like the client is the right fit and there's a synergy there, you know, the project moves forward in your role.
0: What does that look like? It's, it's changed over the years when I kind of, mm-hmm. Letting you know about how my role had been augmented, and I was asked how would you describe or you know tell someone how 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 early do you need to be engaged and we actually got to where when my clients would uh get the land tied up, we'd start talking about what do you envision here and obviously, I would begin with this twenty to twenty five page inspiration package that covers And it's just a collection of images that are trying to paint a picture because there's so many people who think and speak different languages as far as visually um and they don't really they don't really mean the same thing but you don't know until you point at a picture and go yes that's what i mean so it actually is very efficient in cutting out a lot of guesswork and those those image package they'll, they'll cover what the architectural skin looks like what the space in between the buildings look like, the the pool areas. There'll, there'll be pieces in there that get into, you know, landscape and lighting. We'll get into obviously signage uh, inspiration, what your experience is at that reception or front desk. I'll get into pictures of bathrooms and furniture and all types of things that you can you know touch and feel. And kind of almost when you flip through this this package, you feel like you already know what this building is going to look like. And once I get that edited by the owner, we actually present that in the kickoff meeting to all the professionals um, and and we get their their buy-in. It didn't meant to go, hey, use this as the Bible, but it is basically, in our next meeting, y'all come back with some images that that speak to this language and let's push all these things together. So it's a collective, uh collaboration of sorts and then we can start from there because that way we're all at the same ground zero and and headed in the right direction
2: when you get those images back from a client do you ever not necessarily cringe but do you ever get the sense that there may be some challenges uh, that you know you may be asked to you know do something in a style that's maybe counter to what you think is is related to those natural resources Um, How do you how do you deal with guiding your clients to the best design solution?
0: Well, what's funny about that is I don't usually get more than one or two images if they're coming from the client, because that means they've really hooked on to one or two and they're just holding on to it with white knuckles. Um, I'll get into tell me what's special about that to you. Uh, you Why why are you connected to that? And then I'll send some that are actually what they're trying to send most of the time. Now, sometimes I have some pretty, you know, savvy clients and they know hey, this is modern farmhouse or this is going to be super coastal traditional. And they've done a few of these things, so they kind of know what they can get away with. And and sometimes I'll have to um, say, okay, are we going to really go that far with the details? Because that's going to be that's going to be really nice, but really expensive. And so what we usually do in that third pass of that package is I'll literally write two or three sentences. On each page, saying concentrate on this, you know, don't look at that because we can't do that, um, and it really makes it a, a little more obtainable. Um, if that makes sense,
1: the, as you mentioned and alluded to earlier, money's getting a little more expensive right now than the last few years. Become a lot more tricky for you, I'm sure, is um, having those discussions. Is that something early on that you have discussions with the? a contractor partner or are you just you've been in the market, you know, you're aware of what things are hitting at and where your client is probably at at a per, per square foot cost. Or I guess, yeah, how do you how do you manage those expectations with interest going up and money? I, I guess tell me about that process. Well they'll
0: you know they won't give me a house per square foot, but they know about what they can stomach. And what what I've always asked is give me an opportunity to come up with another idea that keeps the design intent intact. Don't go slashing away at it and it's not even the same place. So if you can just give me that opportunity and help me understand why is this too expensive, let's walk through how we can do a little bit of editing. And and probably 70% of the people after us doing that Still never know we, we made those changes, but mm-hmm. still actually got to save a gable here or a dormer there. Don't, don't just go slashing the, and everything looks my, you know, just so the same, you know, I guess. Monotonous. Mm-hmm. I guess, is what I was trying to say.
2: I really appreciate the, what you said earlier about value alignment. And you probably heard the old adage that uh, subdivisions are named for the thing that's been destroyed to build the subdivision. <laughs> yeah. When when you're putting a brand together and you're using those natural resources, you're using the inspiration from the client. How do you go through the process of creating um, a brand and a design that, like a lot of other logos, a lot of other famous examples, simplify everything down into its core elements? Um, you have a, a broad creative style, but it also still feels like and, and seems like that your designs, there's not much that could be taken away. And so it feels very tight, very concise, and almost just like natural, like this is the thing that should be there.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I well, I tell you, one of the the hurdles that I never saw growing taller as I was doing this is the naming process. It used to be that you could um just half suggest something and actually create what it's going to be but we really have gotten a lot tighter on how we treat that naming a project um i've probably got two or three going on now that have been they get pushed out i mean they end up taking a month and a half two months to name a project and you know I, one thing that contributes to that is having a lot of cooks in the kitchen making decisions the other is them trying to be so careful that if you don't watch what's happening, you can wash all the personality out of a name and it's so neutral that it means nothing. So mm-hmm. try to learn. It's really an education process about why why are we doing this project here and what was there before us. And especially in today's climate, we have to be super careful about um, tying anything back to historical things because it can um not be so great Um, so it's really about what does this mean what is this going to either give back to the community or what is the um, inspiration or drive from the client to actually what do they want to leave behind now you know over the past 10 or 15 years I've had two different clients I'll have a client and I say client a developer that they'll come up with a brand And they name everything that because they actually want that brand to be recognized in different cities and then i have others who will say no that's not our approach i want you to name this to be unique to its surroundings so it feels like kind of like what mark was alluding to a part of this fabric of community i want it to feel like it belongs here and so that takes a a little more backing into but it's it's always a process where i try to get it to be something that is as simple and clean as it can be. I don't ever want it to be a long name or too confusing or something that you're asking a question about because my intent is for it to feel comfortable, gain your trust, and then you're thinking about living there, not, not hung up on the name. Like, you know, you don't want it to be too, too cheesy.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you, you alluded to there just for one second about, um, you know, creating these memorable places. Um, in, your, in your own words, um, how would you describe placemaking?
0: you know, to me, I would say there's always an aspect of um, comfort, you know, something that draws you there. There's definitely a, a, a visual energy of either people or storefronts or background buildings even um, that, that draw you there, somewhere you want to actually um, go to. Then there's another layer of accessibility, you know, is it walkable? Is it easy to get to? Uh, do I Do I get anxiety about, am I going to find a place to park when I go there? You know, is it worth it? And then probably the more important aspect is the social aspect. It's about uh, community. And we want people to be able to to gather and appreciate differences. You know, we don't want every storefront or every building to look the same. So there needs to be variety. And that also applies to the people that are there. Um, And so if it's a small Small area or a larger area. There's are different things. I'm sure you know. You both know we can do to actually make those outdoor rooms and indoor rooms feel comfortable, and and they draw you in. So it's kind of a multi-layered answer, but it's uh, and there's different ways we can all achieve that.
1: It's pretty common that we can't nail it down to one one thing or one idea because it's it's hard to really describe. You just kind of know. Um, when a place has that feel, give us a, a location in your mind that exhibits placemaking and, and inspires you so much in your day to day. Is there a, a certain place, location, town, city that just you don't know, are like, I don't know about how they yeah. did it, but this is amazing.
0: Well, it's it's funny how and these few places like uh, one of the first TNDs, Seaside, Florida and and Rosemary Beach, Uh, being so close to the coast here in Birmingham, we often vacation down there. And what's been fun to me is, as I've gotten older, I understand what makes those places. But before I knew what I know now, you still had that thing, Matt, that you allude to that you're just drawn there. And I think a Mm -hmm. lot of it is it has even nothing to do with the beach. It has everything to do with you parking your car and you feel like I can walk to get groceries. I can walk to get a meal. I can walk to a friend's house if they're down there at the same time. uh, That makes it feel like, wow, I could get used to this. You know, this is and even even if you wanted to, you could hop on a bike and go to, you know, neighboring development. Um, And one I've been to recently, I went to for the first time in uh, Seattle. Well, right outside of Seattle Seabrook washington um it it was so cool to actually go there last year and just notice with I think it's like four or five hundred houses how they've just been so thoughtful about even tiny strips of green with that only could accommodate a bench, but they're connecting neighbors that're across from each other, but they also have privacy with the trees and then you know you're kind of that that property is up where it looks almost down at the water through pine trees. And you you can walk all the way around from the post office to, I think they've just put in a new grocery store there now. Um, and it just feels like this is, it's all, not off the grid, but it's not, it's away and ha- away from all the busyness and you have everything you need, you know? Um, it's, it's, it's a cool feeling to be able to pull all those pieces together.
2: You mentioned uh, specifically the, the visual energy and <clears throat> having um, seen some of the places that you've mentioned, it's fascinating to know that there's, you know, there's there's layers to the urban fabric, there's texture involved, um, you know, there's an a interrelationship between the built environment and the natural environment, and then those spaces in between that, like you mentioned, the small little grass strips and the trails and the walking paths. As someone who's been in that design field in your career and also been in the architecture side, um, what are some recommendations that you would give developers when they're, um, you know, starting a project or thinking about um, the design and that creating that fabric? What are some of those core elements that you begin that conversation with, with your clients? The green spaces mean a lot. I'll come back to
0: that, but they are also the arrival experience. I would always pay attention to every person that's never been there. This is their first impression. And you almost want it to not hit you in the face, but see it from afar and just pull you in. And you can do that with a handful of storefronts, even some you know, livable lofts above that, that actually create a certain amount of density that feels welcoming and that it's actually someplace you want to go. And, and the other thing I learned about Seabrook when they were telling us about how they laid that na- those neighborhoods out, is they made sure that there was a small fire pit slash little green. And, and they were careful about how far away they were from each other. And so what they actually found out is when they started getting more full-time residents, there's actually a behavior where people would walk. And this is you know, my borough. This is my fireplace. This is my 10 to 12 neighbors. This is where we always meet. And they would all grab a drink and just walk over to another one and meet other people and it's almost a, the thought of a necklace of a connection between those parks if you can protect the trees and the green space and make sure you're mindful of the how the houses are actually situated on the lots where we're not just banging them out one after another like track houses make sure those uh the short and long views are Where those terminate, you spend a little more money on those those homes or even a bed and breakfast so that they're your that's your aha moments that kind of pull you through the actual development. And you can be a little more affordable with the other houses with some simple details and no one would ever notice, because as long as you have those other things holding this together, they identify with those moments where they're walking towards that one special house for a block or two and then they see something else like sculpture or you know a water feature I mean a lot of times we we kind of go down a list of it it's kind of funny we'll go down a list of how does it how does this serve our five senses you know sight sound smell taste and touch you know sight is what I was just talking about the variety of 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 patterns and and textures you can get with structures also with the plantings Um, you can get a lot of color out of both of those um sounds can be small decompression zones they can be um even natural things like birds where you give them trees to actually congregate um or or in certain areas you have a, a whisper of music uh smell can be a tricky one sometimes but a lot of times we can uh, we can achieve that by having fragrant um plants that are really close to where you sit so a lot of our memories are even associated with smell. So that can be a trick that you can do. Or you put those in potted uh, pots right in your in front of your storefront. I mean, there's so many little ways you can do that. Um, and then, you know, taste is a tough one. But if you have any kind of uh, storefronts or any restaurants or anything like that, they kind of help you in that, that arena. And then in touch is something we can always achieve inside and outside the buildings with what materials we use.
1: That's, that's interesting. Cause I, you know, I, even as we're talking through this, I'm, I'm cycling through memories of places I've been where, you know, all those senses are achieved and they are memorable, right? Because we, we did activate, you know, different textures and different, uh, you know, like walking down the street and, you know, In in Italy and smelling and smelling the bakeries and tasting and and you see all the visual activity of the street fronts and uh, And even when you're
0: and even when you're walking you actually notice when you go from pavers to concrete or to pebbles you know there's a crunch under your foot that happens that you're not even understand that you're taking all that in all those tiny little things yeah
1: it's refreshing too to hear that that's all curated with this type of development. It's curated. There's a non-monetary kind of (laughs) uh, feeling that you can attribute to it. It's hard to quantify. And that's probably what makes it uh, your job a little more difficult. It's it's hard to put a number on how those feelings will generate additional income or revenue Mm -hmm. um, for the various developments. But uh, a place
0: like that brings people back. Well, a lot, of, a lot of times, you know, crushed gravel or the pavers; those are the first things that get start getting cut. And but you have to make sure you remind your your client. Well, you came to us and said you wanted this experience. Now, if you start cutting all these things out, they compound on each other and will affect that experience in a large way. It's not a a huge ask to save this one to not do that one. You know,
1: being uh, aware of the other options like so often as and I can say this because I'm a civil engineer so so often we get used to our you know this is concrete this is asphalt this is concrete this is asphalt this you know and just thinking outside the box of okay well you know concrete may be allowed and it may be the most economical uh easiest for a contractor to pull together but it doesn't mean that you have to change everything, right? You could mix it up, like you said, and provide the different experiences, the different uh, feelings, the the, the shapes. Yeah. I mean, and that could be achieved through many ways. uh, Not, not just replacing materials. I mean, there's other things we could do. So um, that's, that's refreshing. And it's a reminder to myself too. So
0: (laughs) what's fun is a lot of things are, are, um, gauged by your pedestrian traffic. And if we can mm-hmm. even just change materials to make people in the car cognizant of, I need to slow down, make this road a little rougher, then they actually get this visual, this, this, this cue of a a sound and feeling when their car's going over it. But it also almost teaches them to, I'm not going to go over that 25 miles an hour, you know, I'm going to slow it down. So
2: I don't remember who it was, but somebody said that uh, a good street design for traffic calming for safety is to make the driver as scared as the pedestrian. And I really, I really, <laughs> good I really yeah. just, I really just love that. And um, <clears throat> it, as you're describing all of these, the elements and especially, you know, uh, qualifying the senses and our sensory experiences to Matt's point is whether we have one material or another, we're still going to have that experience of a, of a particular place. And I think when it becomes memorable, um, also to Matt's point is, we always reference Europe, we'll reference Boston, we'll talk about these, uh, you know, Seaside or um, Rosemary Beach, because of those level of quality and the care taken in the decisions, intentional decisions made to include these elements. In many ways, it sounds like obviously the, the, the solution is um, the natural and the correct one. But it also seems so hard to achieve sometimes because when we look at building budgets, we don't all the time consider um, the landscaping because we don't know the design yet or the, the city ordinance may be written in a particular way of here's our minimums. And so it, it's hard to pull all of those elements together and it's refreshing to hear your perspective because you simplified it and, and articulated it so carefully.
0: What's well, more about making them understand the why um in yeah. the short game right because most of the time they can't appreciate it till they understand it and then sometimes you still don't get it so you got to make sure you say it three times before it soaks in
2: Yeah, that's very true i'm going to get uh, your quote earlier from uh, what is your ocean um on a t-shirt
0: <laughs> yeah Do
2: that. that's good it's always it's always good to refocus uh, on the most important element there um y- you are obviously a leader in your field uh, what's the biggest uh area um, that you're still curious about? You know, I,
0: I am curious about, even back from when I was doing um, student developments, I always tried to, especially in the fitness rooms, but all throughout the clubhouses, include some type of quote or um, positive messaging. And it's a part of the design. And people will read that in their daily you know, walk in those developments where they're in the computer room or they're in the live workspace or even the leasing office or the yoga room or the fitness room or whatever other amenities we've packed into that one deal, I'll always have some type of subtle messaging. And I've actually had, um, I've seen on uh, social media before where even some students would take pictures of just these little quotes from Aristotle or Someone else, or you just even, and sometimes they are even just positive messages without an author uh, that would place in different areas and how it affected their day. And it's been there the whole time, and they've lived there for six months, but they finally it applied to them that day. And I would tie all that to uh, mental wellness. I mean, it's all of us need encouraging. You know, we you can't burn it at one out of ten every at ten every day. So just a little push sometimes. And so I'm like, how how could you make that a a purposeful little layer that you slide in there? Um, there's so many cool spots in Austin, but I always remember walking down uh, South Congress and they had just pushed in the sidewalk, just a few uh, messages. And it's like, so it'll always be there or, or or a decal somewhere. And it's just kind of that personality of that city that it really makes you drawn to it because it's almost, you know, everything's game there and it's okay because that's them. Right. So it's, that's why a lot of creatives have flocked there. So um, that's just a good example of always having a positive message because you never know who you can affect uh, in a good way.
1: One thing that they don't teach you in school, in architecture school or civil, definitely not in engineering school is, is psychology, Right. <laughs> but yeah. it's so important for all of us to understand at least to some degree the psychological impacts of the built environment that we're all creating you know we have a big a big piece of that and yet it it, it just is not taught you know to the to any degree other than you know your own personal experiences and those of the people around you how do you how do you begin to identify how things will make people do you have like in the back of your mind when you see a site is there something that draws you in that automatically starts getting your brain thinking about how you want this place to feel and how it will make others feel and is that just based on the natural resources or the client or you know the end user how does that spark come
0: Well, we've talked about experiences a few times, and my number one goal is to try to make them memorable experiences. And so I'm like, where can I add little small doses of delight in areas? And it can be something that draws you, you know, 500 yards across to a a green that you want to go check it out. And you may mentally say, I need to come back here. This is a cool little quiet moment that I could really enjoy. I don't know that I'm that far down the road with a list of ideas when we walk a site. But that's why I love if it's possible to be involved as those buildings are taking shape. You know, when the master plan is is starting and it's just blocks on a, you know, contour lines, it's it's you just think about, okay, where are our major areas? What are we, where are we gonna change the feeling of this place because we have this collection of pieces and the, the only way I can tell you is the best education I have I've could ever get is to travel. And y'all alluded to that earlier. There are moments that I'm sure I noticed that not many people do unless you're in what we do. And I, I don't care if it's, you know, I remember being in, in Carmel, uh, California, and, and having to push through an actual street storefront that was actually just a walkway to a hidden almost coffee shop. And as soon as you... Discover that you actually find out that most people know where it is, but if you're not looking to kind of discover, you'll never find it, and and that becomes an even more special moment than what you might have done when you just quickly looked at the street and tried to find a cool place to have lunch. Um, and so I always think of, hey, can we create those little nooks that are discoverable? And it, it's almost like a really good logo. If if I design something that looks good to you from the beginning, and you're like this is exactly what I wanted. And then, you know, after we've talked about it for an hour, I can reveal something in that logo that actually is something else that means something to you. You can't get any more a, a better endorsement than that because then they start to tell that story because they're waiting to surprise someone else with it. And I apply that to the built environment, too. I mean, how can we create little surprises in these little areas? And the best way to do that is to travel because, you know, there's a lot of people that came before us that were making cool Stuff.
2: So, well, you strike me as an optimist, um, especially in the way that you describe, you know, seeing a project that may have some challenges and, and having the confidence and obviously the skill um, to, to make those little doses of delight happen. Um, have you ever run into situations where you, you kind of felt like the project may be lost, uh, but you persevered and, and pushed it through and, and created that story? Do you have, tell us about some example project?
0: Mm, I think we all have those clients. Um, I've had a few clients that, um, all, you know, sometimes they would have a reputation of, hey, we want the moon. And then you'd find out they may backstep a little bit and end up compromising in a few areas. And so as that relationship gets stronger, and, you know, it's not just about money, it's about, hey, what are you leaving behind here? How can we protect this? Um, I've I've had to have some of those conversations and some went turned to the boat a little bit um, and then some it never happened. It's just sometimes it's not an option uh, not to I don't want to be too specific to single any any one client out, but it's uh, it happens all the time. It's it's almost, uh, you know, as a designer, I think we all take the mindset of, you know, we're we're doing cool, creative things. But what we really are are problem solvers. And that becomes you know, the one-on-one class on, all right, how are you going to, you know, field this problem? And and how can you make the best come out of it? Because a lot of times they're like, no, can't do that anymore. Or you even walk the property later and you find some things were put together, not even close to what you put out there. And you're just like, what happened?
2: Um, Well, you've worked in a lot of different media and uh, with your experience in the real estate world, do you feel comfortable with the advance of digital media and um, sort of the speed to market, you know, aspect of marketing and, and, um, and promotions. And you, you have a sense that you kind of take the old school aesthetic and are bringing that up into um, really kind of a a modern aesthetic and a a modern delivery method.
0: You know, I, I try not to let that influence obviously what we're doing, but what it does put a little pressure on the people who are in that social media space and have to try to share information, puts a little pressure on them to actually have new information to share all the time. And as we know, these projects start slow. I mean, they're turning dirt for months and they need, you know, more handy to put out there to, to entice people. And so we start to concentrate more on how can we you know, spend a little more money on the front end on the the 3D renderings and the fly-throughs and how realistic can we be about actually choosing everything that's gonna be on the shelf down to the forks and spoons. We've done that a handful of times working with the interiors. Um, It does give us an opportunity though to actually slowly explain why we're doing certain things. And so what you do is you start to educate why these greens are here, or why the clubhouse is situated the way it is, and how we're going to phase this project so that we get a, a mix of townhomes, single family, active adult, and then we'll come back and add on to those so that everybody gets a a buy in in their price range or you know what path they're on in their journey in life. Um, it does give you that opportunity to try to explain that. What I found is, um. You know, the more you can educate those first people who buy, they become your pioneers to the next people who buy. They like, they actually become the people once you're off that site and you're no longer influencing it, they tell the story after that. And the better, you know, you can get them educated, the better story and why the people will protect those things afterwards.
1: We've talked about the story. Um, we've talked about the, the cost of money, the economics behind all this. What, if you' were to distill maybe all of your initiatives <laughs> this stuff on one certain project, what would you say has the biggest impact?
0: I would say you know the the natural answer or probably the reflex answer would to be to hey, protect what you do, tell them that's the most important um but I think it would be if I had to put myself in the shoes of someone who's moving somewhere for a certain purpose is to make sure. One, it is the answer to what they're looking for as far as a living situation, because we have such a huge gap in the missing middle. You know, is it affordable? Is it somewhere that you're giving them that fits their walk of life? Um, And how are we impacting those everyday experiences? I mean, if, if I'm... You know, on a project, and I'm working with Niket, and they don't need my branding services, and I'm I'm still on it from the Niket side of the architecture approach. Those are the things we're going to still try to improve and make sure you know you have a little private area, you have some accessibility to the amenities, um, your everyday routine is impacted somehow in a positive way. Now, Matt, did I hear you say stuff? Did I say stuff? Oh no. Uh, I think, I, I don't know. We'll get Mark to,
2: to roll it back. Chad,
0: but
2: I, Chad I, Chad can
1: Nisten. we roll this back real quick? <laughs> we get, we're <laughs> going to roll that
2: back really quick. Uh, Chad, <laughs> tell us your favorite word and your least favorite word. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, My favorite word is experience because you can have good ones and bad ones. My, my 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 pet peeve is stuff. I was giving Matt a hard time earlier. I had an eighth grade teacher who once told me to stand up and show me stuff. Why did you use that in a sentence? It's like, if you can't tell me what you're talking about, just don't talk about it. Cause you can't always, you can't put stuff in there. And I had a, um, <laughs> our leader, our leader meeting here. Uh, someone used stuff one time and I off to the side said, Hey, what are you talking about? I don't, you know, can you show it to me? I, I wish you'd just tell us what you're talking about. Cause it can be nothing or something. I uh, just thought <laughs> it, was, it, it was a trigger. Um, it, it just took <laughs> me back to eighth grade. We'll have to replay that. I might have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you. A little while ago, I, I, I gave you a really small stuff just to watch your face to see, and I don't think you, I don't think you, you, uh, you, you heard. No, me. it, it doesn't bug me as much. You. But <laughs> <laughs> on your just... radar.
2: <laughs> so you know, to pull this back really quick to to the real estate development experiences, you know, you said this earlier about how finding the name is the hard part, and and in particular where everything is overused, and obviously I think tech companies are the ones that probably, you know, do the these hybrid word fuses and these sort of meaningless jargon. But ultimately, there is something in the word that is, um, as a very famous writer has said, it's very pregnant with meaning and yeah. there's always an opportunity in what you said that you want the client to own it and be able to own the story and be able to turn that around and tell other people because when those words have meaning just like having a place that has meaning it it's transitory you know it's something that will move with you and your memories and in your experiences and there's there's so much effort that goes into that that i think a lot of people miss And especially in a world where everything is fast, everything has to happen very, you know, very quickly, we want it cheaper, we want it at our front door. Um, I'm happy and thrilled to see that the the work you're doing is getting press and is getting out there um, to to a broader audience. Um, With all of those positive things and the energy that you put into it, um, is there anything that scares you or that keeps you up at night in your current role?
0: No, I'll, um, to even tie back to your, you know, what you just said about the words having meaning. Um, I, there's a parallel there. You know, you, you asked me my favorite word and I said experience, but a lot of times the intention is to have thoughtful design and a good meaning behind a name is also meant to be thoughtful. Um, and so it it feels it, it gives it meaning. So I feel like that equals purpose. And so that would that's why I try to do a good job on those that naming, because that's that's our when you first hear about a place, the name is the first thing you hear. And there's a people associate, you know, really quickly. Um now, speaking of what keeps me up at night, um I've thought about the last couple of months. How fast AI is coming on, and it's just taking over. It seems to, you know, just double and triple in its speed of just almost invasiveness. And when I think about that and virtual reality, um, I know they both have their purpose. But what worries me is that a lot of people are are talking about how. They want to create virtual reality so you don't actually have real life experiences. I mean, when you think about it, you're sitting in a room with a headset on to go walk somewhere or experience a game or a a place and you're not actually there. You know, it's this kind of a a, a fake community, Um, although those people are other people with headsets on. It's like, are we? trying to destroy what actually we're all you know, humans are made for. And that's to gather and be in community. It's like, would that go so far as people wouldn't even seek out to go to a Seabrook or a Boston or Europe, because, you know, it, it almost, it feels lazy, right here. I mean, I know some people can't experience it because of price, but golly, you, you should be able to drive within a two or three hour circle anywhere to experience you know, other people and walkability, it, that that's kind of a weird mix of thoughts I've had. It's like, you know, I know everything has its positives, but putting on a headset to go somewhere that could really actually exist um, is, is a little weird to me.
2: I think we've all seen those uh, translations in technology and especially, you know, the the design industry went through that with early you know CAD drafting software. And then obviously with the internet, you know a whole round of media and communications um, platforms have become more democratic. I also see the, the websites where you can pay you know 30, forty dollars and you know download your logo. Um, it, it, it becomes so impersonal, but at the same time, it, it's a little too accessible. And, and I feel like just some of the AI work that I've seen, it's it's unbelievable. And especially some of the architecture examples are, um, <clears throat> I mean, it, it's extraordinary what it can do, but then when you really look at the detail, you see like, oh yeah, it just, it can't do what we do. And so there's gonna be that, um, I think it's, it's the uncanny valley, um, that disconnect between what we know and understand, and what we're able to comprehend as what the future might look like Um, and so i in creating unique places is there's really no substitute for that either is a place of quality and it hits those senses that you've described or Mm -hmm. it's other And, and i think the other i think is the scariest part to see that there's so much other out there that what you're creating and what a lot of the the great developers around the country have put together is extraordinary but it's still so rare. Yeah.
0: You know, the, the opposite side of what keeps you up at night is what 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 are you encouraged by or what are you looking forward to? And I still right. feel I still feel like affordability can still be beautiful. And I think there'll be some solutions out there, you know, be it probably a smaller footprint. But I've been in 600 to 700 square foot places before that when they were done right. They didn't feel that small, and I appreciated the fabric of the community they were plugged into, and that may be where we're headed to try to solve this missing middle problem and affordability. And it doesn't mean that you might not have, you know, certain processes and systems in place that are replicable or uh, even modular even, but you wrap them with nice materials, and we can still create cool places.
2: Absolutely. Well said.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's like
1: two episodes right there, at least I'm <laughs> discussing that.
2: Yeah, and now sure. I
1: have nightmares about virtual reality. So thank you for that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like which robot's coming to take my job? <laughs>
1: right. Well, well, I I hate to start uh, wrapping this up because this is this has been really fun, but I want to kind of reflect a little bit here on. You moving forward and Weave and the implications and and the impact that we've will have and has had. You know, looking forward, hundred plus years, what do we see as not only your legacy, but also weaves uh, and and what you've created there? Um, I know that's a that's a big question. So
2: yeah.
0: That's,
1: that's no pressure
0: that's got a lot of stuff in it Matt. Um, <laughs> but you know it's tough to to think about that, but you come into the office every day um, one domino at a time right and try to make a difference. but I would hope that eventually you could look back on projects that you know my team worked on, and you could tell a difference in the thoughtfulness of the solutions um. You know, we're going to change materials here and there. It always happens You don't always get to use the, the nice materials. But you can be thoughtful. I mean, all the way from industrial designers to architects, there are different things that we all put together that you can tell it was done in a very simple and easy way. But it wasn't because it was simple. It's because it was thought through and it wasn't complicated. It's probably simple because it's more affordable. But it also usually makes it, you know, solid. So I would love to be known as a talented um, designer and, you know, a difference maker in the sense that this place is different. You can,
2: you can feel it. Well, one more comment that I had was um, in, in creating something from scratch, um, you know, you take that idea. Um, you know, which kind of starts in the ether, you know, it starts somewhere in your head or in your experience. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm I'll I'll get the quote wrong, but basically it's, ideas are free when they're your own, but they they have value when you share them with others. And yeah. and I love that aspect of a community is through that idea, you can bring people together, get agreement, build consensus in a healthy way. And then turn that around to the world and just let it fly, see where it goes. And uh, and I've I've shared that with friends and coworkers in the past is let's come up with the with the best with the best idea possible, and let the best idea win, and, and then put it out there and see what the client says, you know, see what the rest of the team says. Um, but you know the ideas are free. And, yeah. and I think I think that's something in our world is once you have gone through the process and you've created something exceptional. The client has paid you for that but for the rest of the people it's free
0: well mark i love that you said that it reminded me of one of your first questions y'all asked how do you start your process and, and you know i told you how do i pick the right clients or know that they're the right fit the one thing they have in common is that when all of us, all of us the design professionals come to the table for that kickoff meeting that the tone has to be set from the beginning everybody Check your ego at the door and yeah. the best idea wins. And what happens is, sure, what I do, my circles cross over into the architect space. It also crosses over into the interior design. But if we're all pointed in the right direction and we're looking for success the same way, it shouldn't matter. And, and obviously, it doesn't always have to be my idea. I'm, I'm always just like, that's great. If that, that works, let's do it. It's awesome.
2: Great perspective.
1: It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Chad. I I know we've talked before in the past, but I'm glad we got a chance to uh, really dive into what you're doing there at Weave. Um, could you give us uh, a little bit more about how the listeners could find out more about what you're doing there at Weave and um, where they can see what, what you're working on?
0: Yeah. A lot of my projects are obviously on the website at, Weavebranding.com, That's a W E A V E branding dot com. Um there's really um and I'm I'm on LinkedIn as well. Um I'm always glad to I'm you know, I write the proposals, I do the work, and I answer the email. So it's not you're not going to be handed off to someone else. So it's kind of a direct A to A kind of thing. But um, you know, uh it, as we talk about that, people may still ask, well, what does weave mean? Why is that name there? And it, the one intent of that was I was the one single thread that was common between all the different designers and professionals. So I was meant to keep them out of their silos and us all, you know, weave our ideas together. So that's kind of the idea of the name. So there's a little bit of an explanation behind that.
1: I love it, I that's love great. it. yeah, we missed that question that's that should have been one of our first questions. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you.
0: You can do your you editing magic, just slap that on the. <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs> Thank goodness for editing, right yeah, that's right. <laughs> get rid of that stuff,
0: huh. I sure appreciate the invitation getting to meet you guys, and I look forward to listening to so many other. Um, disciplines and professionals that y'all pull into this conversation it's so I think it's growing I think um, we're going to see some changes and you know look out for when the autonomous car begins because we can get rid of all our parking decks and parking spots won't mean as much and we probably get more density in our in our places so absolutely absolutely
1: yeah, that's a, that's another episode right there. We'll, just, we'll, we'll, we'll book you for four more. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, let's, do let's do it.
2: Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck uh, in all your endeavors. And we are, I'm, I'm a big fan. We're big fans. And so we look forward to uh, seeing more of your work in the future.
0: Yeah. I hope we can all find something to, to work on together soon.